turn with me in your copy of God's Word this morning to the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 as we continue in our Advent series. We'll continue in the series on Christmas Eve and then Pastor Matt will conclude us next Sunday as we enter into the new year and the days ahead. Can't believe it's already this time of year. As we start this morning, I wanted to take just a minute to talk to our children. I want to ask you a question. What is the best part of Christmas, in your opinion, kids? So if you're in here, you're a kid, or you're out in the foyer, what, what's the best part of Christmas to you? You can talk if you want. You can say something. It's okay. No one's brave enough to. Gifts? Are you excited? What's the hardest part of Christmas? you think as a kid? Waiting. Waiting. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. All right. All right. You know, you spend your whole life as a kid with your parents going, shh. You know? Then all of a sudden the preacher says, talk to us. <laughs> Waiting. I agree. Waiting is hard, isn't it? You're, you're anticipating. You're excited. I, I was the same way as a kid, Right. You're, you're, just, you're just really looking forward for us this week. It's Saturday, right? We're waiting on Saturday, and we're excited about everything. And I remember the same as a child. There, there was a lot to be excited about. And, and the waiting just honestly, would, there would be times it would just drive me crazy. And, and I remember as a, as a kid, you guys don't do this now, um, children, but most of the adults in here will probably remember this. I remember just flipping page after page after page through the Sears catalog. You remember the Sears catalog? And JCPenney. We had JCPenney catalog and Sears, and so I would compare the toys, and I would circle all the toys, and I would dog ear, and I would strategically leave the catalog open by dad's chair or mom's couch and wherever it was. I, I just, I looked at it, and I, I was excited. I was waiting, and, and the waiting would just be difficult. Because there was something I was anticipating, right? There was something I was excited about. There was something that I was looking forward to. And I longed for that moment. And then that time came. Do you remember that time? That's, kids think about that. that. Those mornings you gather. I don't know what your tradition is as a, as a family, but ours was always Christmas morning. We would come in and run into the living room. And, and it was just a good time together as a family. I don't remember as much the gifts that I got as I do the times with my family, with my sisters, my parents, and the times of laughter, the surprises, and then spending time that day just sitting around doing nothing but being there as a family. It was something I longed for and I anticipated. Well, today, we look at Simeon, and Simeon was a man who waited for the Lord, He's described in Scripture as one who waited for the Lord. He had been waiting on the Messiah. And, and children, what I want you to know today and, and to think about is the waiting that you're filled with, the anticipation you have for Saturday, the excitement. It, it's fun and it's hard, but it pales in comparison to what Simeon and the rest of the people of God were experiencing and waiting on the Messiah anticipating the, uh, the Messiah, the coming of Jesus, the Savior, when Christ will be born. And so the waiting that we experience each Christmas is, a, is a, a, just a glimpse of the waiting for the Messiah. 
And it also reminds us of the waiting that we take part in now for the return of Christ, which Pastor Matt will look at next Sunday. I want us to to look this morning at Luke chapter 2. We'll begin reading in, in verse 22. The word of the Lord says this. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And we're going to concentrate most of our time this morning on Simeon and on his song. But those, those last few verses, before we get into that, I would just point out by way of recognition that they remind us that while the coming of the Messiah was a wonderful blessing, a great day to behold, his life is one that would be difficult. For the fall and the rising of many Israel, and he even speaks to Mary and says, a sword will pierce through your own soul. Mary is the mother of the Messiah, would experience great sorrow as she would one day see her son hanging from the cross, dying for the sins of his people. Let's skip back to verse 22. Verse 22 and 24, we find Mary and Joseph going to Jerusalem for the purification for Jesus' birth. But we see here, just in, in, in way of, of understanding the, the style of writers, we see the great detail, the attention to detail that Luke, the doctor, writes with. He, he wants us to, to see and understand that, that Mary and Joseph are continuing to walk in faithfulness. After the birth of the Messiah, they continue to seek to fulfill the Jewish customs and laws. And so they took him. In verse 21, you see Jesus was taken. He was circumcised eight days after his birth. Mary was then held. We, we read, if you want a side note, Leviticus 12, 2 and 4, we learn that Mary would be ceremonial, counted ceremonially unclean for 33 days after this time. And so they were coming for purification and coming to consecrate Jesus unto the Lord. We read of that in Exodus 13, 2. They were living out 
the law. They were seeking to fulfill all righteousness. They were seeking to serve the Lord and walk in faithfulness to the Lord, even as parents of the Messiah. They did not count that as a pass to say, you know what, hey, the Messiah has been born and we have been counted worthy of having the Messiah, of raising the Messiah, so we don't need to do all that. No, they were still walking in faithfulness to the Lord. Now, it's important to note in in verse 24, we read, and to offer a sacrifice according to what it is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, the reason this is an important side note is it tells us that Mary and Joseph were not well off. They were not uh, rich. They were probably in a state of financial poverty. In Leviticus 12, later 12.8, it says, if she, talking about the mother of a newborn child, if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons. And so Mary and Joseph come and they offer a pair of turtle doves or two pigeons because they could not afford a lamb. The Messiah was not born to Mary because she was privileged, because she was wealthy, because she was rich. The Messiah was born to Mary because God chose to use a faithful servant of his. So we come to verse 25 and we ask a question. Who was Simeon? Who was Simeon? Who is this one who recognizes the Messiah, who sings this song, who speaks such a beautiful passage in verses 29 to 32? Who was Simeon? It doesn't really say a lot about his identity. It says now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. That's really about all we learn about him initially as far as his background. He's not noted to be a Pharisee. He's not noted to be a scribe. He's simply a faithful follower of the Lord. And I think we would be remiss to, to not point out a reminder here that God does not just bless the spiritually elite or the theologically trained. It is not as though there's, there's different levels of people walking with the Lord and you have to be up here to experience the blessing of the Lord or be used by God. No, God uses all of his people. There's no requirement to ascend to a certain level to be used by God. What we see in scripture is we see that God consistently uses ordinary men and women living ordinary lives in faithfulness to their extraordinary God. That's what we see throughout scripture. God using ordinary men and women in extraordinary ways. And so I would just say to you this morning, encourage you this morning that if you've fallen into this area of thinking that, you know what, I'm not good enough to be used by God. I don't know enough to do that. I'm not eloquent enough or smart enough or or good enough. Then cast that aside. That's not the testimony of Scripture. The testimony of Scripture is not that you have to be blank enough to be used by God. If you're a follower of God and you're seeking to follow after him, God works in your life and works through you and uses you. You know, Paul talks about in in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he talks about taking thoughts captive. He he says in in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5, the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh and are, are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. All Paul's talking about here is that the reality is that there are thoughts and there are ideas and there are worldviews that come into our lives that are contrary to what God has said, contrary to what God does, contrary to what God leads us to think and to meditate and dwell upon and to understand and to know. And Paul is talking about taking those thoughts 
captive to obey Christ, bringing them into submission to Christ. You, Satan would want to deceive you into thinking that you aren't good enough, you don't know enough, you're not eloquent enough, you're not smart enough, but that's not the word of the Lord. God uses his people. Walk in faithfulness to him. Walk in faithfulness to him and allow him to use you as he decides, as he wills. Next thing we see in verse 25 of, about Simeon. It says, And this man, Simeon, was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Again, there's, there's nothing really mentioned about his age. There's nothing mentioned about his vocation. Some, some guess or speculate that Simeon was older in age, but we really don't know that. There, there's nothing here that's definitive on his vocation, on his age. What we know is the type of man that Simeon was. That's what we know. We don't know what he did. We don't know how old he was, but we know the type of man he is. You know, we're, we're quick to identify people by their vocation. What, what do you do? That's one of the first questions we ask someone. We meet someone. Hey, what do you do? And we want to know what their vocation is. We're, we're quick to identify people by the various talents they have or the resources they might have or possess. That's not what we see here. We, we see a man who is identified by being righteous and devout, waiting on the Lord, full of the Holy Spirit, or having the Holy Spirit upon him. We see a man who is righteous before God, who is walking with God. And we are reminded of the value that God places on righteous living as opposed to the things that the world would place value upon. So there's three ways that Simeon is described here. Three ways. The first thing we see is Simeon's character. What is Simeon's character? Well, so what first way he's described? He's described as righteous and devout, right? Righteous and devout. He is righteous or just toward men. He's devout toward God. The commentator Matthew Henry says this. He says, there must, these two, talking about being righteous towards men and devout towards God, these two must always go together and each will befriend the other, but neither will atone for the deficit of the other. Neither will atone for the deficit of the other. What, what Henry is saying there is that you should always see that uh, the one who is walking in faithfulness to the Lord, that he is righteous toward men or righteous before men. He is just before men, but he is also devout toward God. The two should go hand in hand. The way we worship God and the way we love those around us. We see that consistently through scripture and we should see it in our lives. But neither atones for the deficit of the other. We can't say, oh, well, it doesn't matter how I treat or how others, how I live before others because I worship God. I'm, I'm a Christian, so it doesn't matter how I treat others, how I act around others, how I live out my life before others. No, they should go hand in hand. And we can't say, oh, well, I, I'm just a good person. I treat people really well. I, I, I just really give a lot to people. I support this cause and this cause, but I, I'm not a Christian. I'm not a worshiper of God. No, those don't go hand in hand. The, the two should go together. We should be righteous and just toward men and devout toward God. It, it should be noted here that, that we're entering into, this is coming out of, I guess, a time of years and years of silence. A time in which the, the people of Israel, there would have been many who had fallen away from the Lord. Many who would likely have started pursuing false religions or just living worldly lives, who have grown weary of waiting. A time when many, I'm sure, doubted 
the word of the Lord? Would he be faithful? Would he fulfill his word? He's been silent so long. No prophets have come. No one has spoken of the Lord. But in the midst of this, Simeon remained righteous and devout. Simeon continued to pursue the Lord. This brings to mind Elijah's plea. Do you remember Elijah in 1 Kings 19.10? Do you remember what he said? He he comes to the Lord and he says, and I, even I only am left. He, He looked at God and said, I'm the only one. I'm the only one pursuing you. I'm the only one walking in faithfulness. And God said, no, no, you're not. There, there's 7,000 other Jews. There's a remnant that I've preserved that are walking in faithfulness to me. You remember Paul, he, he brought this back in Romans 11, verse 5. He, he brings this back to mind, the same reference to Elijah to tell the Roman Christians that there is a remnant that remains. There's a remnant chosen by grace, Paul says. And so we think here and we look and we see Simeon, a man who in a time of waiting and a time of, of silence and a time when, when the people of God certainly were weary and waiting and wondering and questioning, questioning, doubting, Simeon remained faithful. He remained devout and righteous. And we need to know that as the, it may seem, there may be times in which we feel alone. There may be times where you look around and you go, no one is pursuing the Lord. No one is walking in faithfulness. People are leaving the Lord. They're turning from the Lord. Am I the only one, God? Are we the only ones? No, you're not. We are not. You are not alone. God is still working. God is still saving. God is still sanctifying. Remain devoted to him. Remain faithful to him. Continue walking in righteousness. I love what J.C. Ryle said on this passage. He said this, he said, it is a cheering thought that God never leaves himself entirely without a witness. Small as his believing church may sometimes be, the gates of hell shall never completely prevail against it. The true church may be driven into the wilderness and be scattered and be a scattered little flock, but it never dies. There was a lot in Sodom and an Obadiah in Ahab's household, a Daniel in Babylon, and a Jeremiah in Zedekiah's court. And in the last day of the Jewish church, when its iniquity was almost full, there were godly people like Simeon, even in Jerusalem. Simeon walked in faithfulness to the Lord, waiting on the consolation of Israel. So we see Simeon's character first. The next thing we learn about Simeon is his posture. His posture, he was waiting. What does it say he was waiting for? The consolation of the Lord. The promised comfort of the Lord for his people. That's what that means. When you read the consolation of Israel, he's talking about the the promised comfort of the Lord. We see that very clearly in the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah 40, verses one through two, this is the passage where where we, we read and we heard of John the Baptist's role of preparing the way of the Messiah. The beginning of it, it says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. Simeon was waiting for this comfort. He was longing on this comfort, that the warfare is ended, that God would deliver his people, that her iniquity would be pardoned. In Isaiah 49, 13, he's speaking of the restoration of Israel. We read, sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. 
Simeon longs for the compassion of the Lord to be revealed, to relieve the affliction of his people. He longs for the Lord to comfort his people, to give peace, restoration to his people. Isaiah 61, 1-2, a description of the year of the Lord's favor. We read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, and to comfort all who mourn. And you remember this passage is read by Christ. You remember, he opens the scroll to this passage and reads it. Simeon longs for that day, the day of the Lord, where all the people of God will be comforted. He is waiting on this day. Why did the people of God need comfort? Why do you and I need comfort? Why should he have rightfully been longing for comfort? Why, why does Isaiah write of the comfort of the Lord? They were, they were keenly aware of, the, of the, the, the sin that was heavy upon them. They were understanding and aware of, of the weight of sin, the consequences of sin, the ultimate penalty of sin. They were aware of their soul's state. They knew the state of their soul before the Lord that they needed a Savior. Our problem is I think a lot of us walk around ignorant of the state of our soul. We walk around as though there is no problem. Some today choose ignorance. Choose to be ignorant. Choose to disregard the clear word of the Lord. Choose to disregard the, 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 the morality that is in you, that you know your guilt. And you choose to ignore it. Others are simply walking around ignorant that are unaware and deceived by the lies of the world. It would say, hey, you start with a clean slate. And you just can get back to that clean slate if you do enough good things to, to atone and, and, and to take away the bad things. You, I don't know if any of you have watched Home Alone. I think it's Home Alone 2. We watched this last weekend. Um, but Home Alone 2, the, the lady comes up to, I think his name's Kevin, right? The little boy. And, and she says, you know, Christmas is about if you just do enough good things, it gets rid of the bad things in your life. And <laughs> we were watching this and, I said, wow, she is definitely no theologian, right? Um, She's missed it. She's missed it. She's unaware of the fact that we cannot do enough good things to get rid of the sin in our lives. We can't do it. You can't do enough good things that it like erases everything you've done before. I've used the illustration before that if I go down 27 and I run the first three red lights and then I go, oh man, I ran the red lights and then I stop at the next four Does it mean that I all of a sudden didn't run the first three? No, no. Billy Bolin saw me run the first three. He's still going to pull me over. I'm not going to be able to say, hey, listen, Billy, please, um, you know, I I stopped at the next four. So that gets rid of those three, right? No, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. We stand guilty. We stand guilty. We stand in need of a Savior. The people of Israel knew their guilt. They knew their need. They knew the grief and despair of their sins. They were daily reminded of of sacrifices around them. They were daily reminded of their need for atonement. And so they were waiting on the consolation of the Lord. They were waiting on the comfort that he would bring. Now, Simeon's waiting is interesting, right? What's unique about Simeon's waiting among all the Jews? 
What had God told him? You can talk. What did God tell him? You're not going to die before what? Wow. <laughs> wow. Can you imagine God saying, listen, everyone's been waiting. It's been silent. I'm not going to tell you when. I'm not going to tell you how. You're not going to know all the details, but here's what you can know. You're not going to die before you see the Lord's Christ. Oh, man, this is, I mean, kids, you think about how much you're anticipating Christmas on Saturday and you may think you know what you got or you may have been a snooper like I was and you know what you got. You shouldn't do that if you are. Well, Simeon knew what was coming. He knew that before he died, he would see the Lord's Christ. And so the anticipation, can you imagine Simeon every day going, is today the day? Could it be today? Every night he lays down to sleep and he closes his eyes and he's thinking, Lord, will tomorrow be the day? Will that be when I see your Christ? Now, this isn't Jesus' last name. He's not saying, I hope I get to see Mr. Christ. It's the Lord's Christ. Will this be the day that I see your Messiah? Will this be the day that I see the Savior? Will it be the day that I see the Anointed One? And he's filled with anticipation. He's looking, he's waiting, he's wanting to see the day of the Lord's Messiah. What does he do? When God reveals them, reveals that to him, it's obvious Simeon was not like, <laughs> whatever. I don't believe you. It's been 400 years and I'm just not going to do it. No, Simeon took God at his word and he waited on the Lord. He remained faithful when others did not. Here's a question for us. I think it's a pressing question. Are we willing to wait and walk in faithfulness with the Lord? Are, are you willing today to wait on the Lord and walk in faithfulness to him? David did it. Think about David, anointed king, and Saul's still on the throne. Numerous opportunities to take timing into his own hands. But he doesn't do it. He waits on the Lord. He walks in faithfulness to his God and waits on his timing. Paul, Paul did the same thing. Paul was thrown in prison numerous times. And in those moments, what does he do? He waits on the Lord's timing for his freeing. He waits on the Lord and he, he walks faithfully. How do we say he walks faithfully with the Lord in prison. He likely wasn't walking much of anywhere. Well, he was writing letters that we now study and preach from and cling to. He was sharing the gospel with the Praetorian Guard. He was telling of the grace of God. Are we willing to wait and walk in faithfulness? Are we willing to wait on the Lord? Christ has said, I will return. He has told us numerous times in Scripture, I will return. And we are in a moment and a time of waiting on the Lord. That passes it. Virtue read, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Do we believe that? That he has said, I will return. So are we willing to wait upon him? 
that what we read, we, we read of, of the angel's song and Zechariah's song and Mary's song and now Simeon's song. And what we read time and time again is God fulfilling his promises, God keeping his word. We've, we meditate on 2 Corinthians one twenty. All the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. We wait upon him. We wait upon him. Because all of the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. And so we wait upon him and we walk in faithfulness to him. So we see Simeon's character. We see Simeon's posture. And third, we see Simeon's blessing. What is the blessing upon Simeon? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was upon him. He was blessed with the presence of the Holy Spirit. As with other, other saints in the Old Testament, the, the special presence of the Holy Spirit enabled them to speak prophetic words of the Lord. In the Old Testament, it was most common for the, the Spirit to be upon a believer, upon a saint, not in a saint. And, and it was, it, the Holy Spirit was, he, the Holy Spirit was upon believers temporarily for a moment of time for them to accomplish a specific task or to speak a specific message. That's pri- the primary function of the Old Testament, the, the Spirit and what he does is activity in and among the saints, primarily speaking prophetic words. And so when Luke says here, he says uh, that the Holy Spirit was upon him and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. He is making very clear that Simeon is speaking words that carry particular weight from the Lord. Because the Spirit was upon him. It was Simeon's blessing. Which leads us into his song. His song. You see the moment, verse 27. They bring Jesus into the temple. Um, and Simeon's there. He comes in the temple. The parents bring Jesus according to the custom of law. And Simeon sees him. And we don't know what it was about Jesus. We don't know how Simeon knew. It doesn't say here. But he takes Jesus up in his arms and he blessed God. I go back and forth on this scene of like Lion King, you know, with Simeon doing this and holding Jesus up or the children's Christmas play I saw this week with uh, the girl who brought the baby Jesus to the front of the stage and was doing this with him, you know, and I'm thinking, don't drop the baby Jesus, you know. Um, I don't know what it looked like. That's in my mind, I have that, but it's probably not what it looked like. We don't know. But Simeon took him up in his arms and he blessed God. And he said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all the people as a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people, Israel. It's just a beautiful scene. He starts by saying, Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace. Simeon had been like the watchman on the wall whose task was to watch for the Messiah. He was looking every day with great anticipation. He was waiting. It reminds you of Psalm 130, verse 5 and 6, where he say, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in his word, I hope my soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. Simeon had faithfully waited and waited and waited and waited. He was filled with anticipation. When would that day come? How would he know? And then the day was there. The day was there. Simeon saw the Messiah. The, the, the watchmen in Psalm 130 were waiting and anticipating the, the dawn of the new day, dawn to break upon the horizon. Simeon, he was waiting for the Son of God to dawn upon the horizon of redemption history. 
And he saw it. He beheld it. It wasn't just darkness with light breaking. It was the darkness of sin and captivity and the lostness that the world was under being dawned on the light of Christ, the light of the Son of God dawning on the horizon. What a day for Simeon to behold. And now that this day was here, Simeon says, I can depart in peace. I can depart in peace. He had no fear of death. He was filled with joy. J.C. Ryle notes, he says, he speaks like one for whom the grave has lost its terrors and the world has lost its charms. He is ready to go. This wasn't a day in which Simeon was racked with pain or at the end of his life and just hurting and aching and in agony. And he goes, just let me die in peace. No, this is the best day of his life. This is the day that he's been waiting for. This is that moment he's been anticipating and looking forward to. He's excited about it. And it comes and he says, oh, Lord, I can go in peace. <laughs> I can go in peace. He doesn't say, oh, I just want to see more. I want to see more. I want to see more. No. He says, Lord, this is it. I have nothing else to cling to. What else could I experience than seeing the Messiah? What else? My eyes have seen your salvation, he says. He was so gripped by the Lord and his salvation. There's nothing else. The prospect of fearing death had fled before him as he beheld the Messiah. He saw his salvation. And then we hear a familiar statement. Now you're letting your servant depart in peace. Why? According to your word, according to your word, we're reminded of this familiar theme of God's faithfulness. We, we saw it in, in Luke 1, 54 to 55. Mary praised God for remembering his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, she said, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Then what does Zechariah say in Luke 1, 69 to 70? He praised God, why? Because God raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. What did the psalmist write in Psalm 130, verse 5? He said, in his word, I hope. In his word, I hope. We see here this familiar theme that we see all throughout Scripture time and time again. And specifically in the, the passages we've looked at, that God's people must trust God's faithfulness. He is a God who fulfills what he says he's going to do. And we need constant reminders of that, don't we? We need constant reminders that God is faithful. God will do what he says he will do. I will fail you. Your mom and your dad and your friend and your brothers and your sisters, your spouse, they will fail you. They will disappoint you. We will do that. We are people. We are not perfect. But God will never fail you. God always does what he says he will do. All the promises of God find their yes through who? Through Jesus Christ. There is no promise that is left unfulfilled. There is not something that God says, I'm going to do this, and he doesn't do it. And we need constant reminders of that. That's important because some of you sit here today and, and you're tempted. You're tempted to doubt God's faithfulness because you're praying and, and you're, you're praying day in and day out. And you've been praying the same prayer for years, for years. And you just ask God, why? Why have you not answered it? God, why? I, I want this. I long for this person's salvation or I long for this person to, to come around or this relationship to be reconciled. God, please do it. And it's not been done. And so you're tempted to doubt God's faithfulness and you need the reminder that God is faithful. You need to remember he's faithful. And, and there's some that, that are here today and, and you're tempted to thinking, you know what, that maybe, 
Maybe the world's way would just be easier than God's way. It, it, I know God's word says to do this. God's word says to wait here, to walk this way. But it would be a lot less friction if I did this. It would go a lot easier at work and you're tempted to doubt God's plan. You need to remember God's faithful. Remember God's faithful. There's some in here who, who you're tempted to doubt God's forgiveness because you sit ashamed of sin. You sit and shake your head. You hang your head. You go, if you only knew what I did this week, if you only knew what I did, if you only knew what I said, and you're tempted to doubt God's promise to forgive. You need to remember that God is faithful. He's faithful. And he's promised that if we confess our sins to him, he is what? Faithful and just to cleanse us and forgive us of all unrighteousness. God is faithful. Do not forget it. Verse 30 and 32, we see Simeon's reason for praise. You see the key words there, right? Four, not the number four, but F-O-R, four. Why does he praise God? Why is he rejoicing? Let your servant, or Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Why? Why can he depart in peace? For my eyes have seen your salvation. This forward-looking faith. He hasn't seen Jesus now on the cross, has he? But he sees the Messiah. <laughs> He's holding the Messiah. He's holding the one that is the salvation of the Lord. The salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all the peoples. Simeon's faith is looking forward at Christ who is salvation personified. That's why in Luke chapter 19, when Jesus walks into Zacchaeus' house and he's in Zacchaeus' house, you know what he says? He says, today salvation has come into this house. You know why? Because Jesus came into the house. Jesus is salvation in the flesh. He is salvation personified. So when Simeon sees Christ, he says, I have seen, <laughs> I've seen your salvation. It's right here. I've been anticipating it. I've been longing for it. I've been waiting. I've been waiting every day, looking forward to it. And God, here it is. Here it is. I've seen your salvation. The salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. You see the significance of this? All peoples, Gentiles, Israel, everyone. Simeon's praising God for the scope of his salvation. He's praising him that he has brought salvation to all peoples. It was prepared in the presence of all peoples, the revelation to the Gentiles, glory to his people, Israel, all people. Not all people numerically, but all people in sorts and types. So you know what that means today? This is significant. This means that Jesus came for both the religious and the atheist. He is salvation for the do-gooder and the rebel. He's salvation for the glutton and the anorexic, the teetotaler, the alcoholic, the clean and the addicted, the comfortable and the hurting, the strong and the weary, the proud and the ashamed, the rich and the poor, the popular and the lonely, the red, yellow, black and white. Christ is salvation. Jesus is the Lord's Christ. He is the anointed one. He is the Savior. All who come to him will be saved. All sorts. Not just the Jew, but the Gentile. 
as well. Listen, when you think about the gospel, you think about the beauty of the gospel, that God has made salvation possible for all people because all people are in need of salvation. In Romans 3, 10 through 11, listen to the, the, the words here. None, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. You see that? Everybody, everybody. There's none who are righteous. No one seeks. No one understands. All have turned aside. All have sinned. Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jew, Gentile, red, yellow, black, and white, all you guys who grew up in Sunday school and you had the badge when you grew up and you, went, you had like perfect attendance in Sunday school, you need Christ. Your religion doesn't get you into heaven. The one who walked into the doors of the church today for the very first time and said, man, I am the biggest rebel you've ever seen, you need Christ. We all need Christ. But thanks be to God for passages like John three sixteen for God's to love who? The world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We read Romans 1, 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to who? Everyone who believes. Everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Or we read Romans 10, 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, there's nowhere in there that gives you the idea that, hey, you know what? Just there's this universalism that everyone's just going to make it to heaven. Love wins. Hell's not there. No, we don't read that. But we do read that all are in need of Christ and that Christ has made salvation possible for all who trust in him. And you need to know that today. You need to know that the God who came and sent Christ died he died on the cross. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. And he rose from the grave three days later that all who call on the name of the Lord might be saved. So the question, the question is, would you trust Christ today? Those of you who sit in here today and you're not a believer, you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Christ, you may do religious things, you may look nice, you may have a nice Christmas sweater on today, but you're not a Christian. Would you turn from your sins? Would you repent and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord today? Would today be the day of salvation? Would you heed the words of the psalmist in Hebrews where it said, do not harden your hearts today for today is the day of salvation? Would you turn to Christ? You see, Simeon says a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to the, your people, Israel. Jesus, the Messiah, is the light of the world. John 1 speaks in depth of this. He describes the Lord's salvation as light to Jews and Gentiles alike. We all need the light of Christ. What does light do? Light helps us see. It reveals reality. It makes a path plain. It exposes danger that we might not otherwise see. And we all need to see that light. We need our eyes opened to see our need for salvation. That, that whole idea that I need 
salvation. It's not just something I add on, but I genuinely need it. It's something that some of you today need to see. We need the light of Christ to reveal the depth of our sin and guilt. We need the light of Christ to make the way of salvation made plain to us. We need the folly of the world's wisdom and philosophy that we bought into to be exposed by the light of Christ. So I would encourage you and plead with you, unbeliever, rebel, religious, turn to Christ. Trust Christ this Christmas season. Conclude by reading this passage from 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6. I've seen such a beautiful glimpse of this idea of the Lord's salvation being light. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. My prayer is that God would do a great work in our lives and that those who are blinded by the world would see a great light in Christ, that God would shine his light in darkness. Listen, many of us today, most of us rejoice as Simeon rejoiced. We rejoice in the coming of Christ. We celebrate his coming. Some do not. But for those of us who do, those of us who gather and we worship and we sing of the coming of our King, We're going to end our time today taking part in the Lord's Supper. Instrumentalists are going to come up to play during this. Our deacons are going to make their way down to serve the Lord's Supper. And in this moment is a time